Hi, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Sean, and uh, I am a new creation. I'm God's son. And I'm one of the pastors. <laughs> um, so uh, this morning, it's my privilege to, uh, to conclude our series on sexuality for the last four weeks, as Nick kind of talked about. Um, and, and as Neil mentioned, uh, we've been discussing sex. We've been discussing what the culture says. We've been discussing um, kind of different facets of it. I mean, it's, it's such a complex issue. We could take a long time and focus on so many different things and never really exhaust it. So I uh, hope that you have had grace with us as, we, as we've been trying to, to, uh, to compact a very complicated topic into, into four weeks. And um, uh, last week was really cool. Um, we, got a, uh, we had a guest uh, in Paolo from Restored LA, a partner church, uh, kind of a, affiliated uh, friends um, that, uh, that came down, him, him and his friends, and, and shared about his, uh, his, his own journey of coming to faith and coming out of homosexual promiscuity and the role that the church has played as a family and how his close friend came to faith at the same time. It was just really a, it was a really encouraging thing. So if you haven't listened to it, I'd really encourage you to, to go online and, and, check out, uh, and check out last week's, um, last week's and have a listen. Uh, this morning, though, um, whether your story of sexual brokenness is kind of major or minor, um, whether it's uh, wrapped up in things that you feel like you have done or it's wrapped up in things that have been done to you, uh, it's really, it's my hope that, um, it's my hope that you yourselves are really able to receive from God two things. There's two things I, I hope that God deposits in us. One is a clear vision that healing and change is not only possible, it is your birthright as a daughter or a son of God. It's yours. The second is a deposit of the love of God that begins to tear down the stronghold of shame that is desperately trying to fight to hold you in a place of lacking, lacking fruit and barrenness. So um, this topic is not just theory for me. Um, uh, so if we, if you kind of bear with me this morning, we're going to, this is maybe even going to be a little bit of a different uh, sermon for myself. We're just going to talk a little bit. We're going to hit some scriptures. We're going to, we're going to bounce around a little. Um, but, uh, but this morning, I, I want you to know that this isn't theory. I'm going to share a little bit of my story, or really, because I want you to know that this is a place where it's safe to come out of hiding. That's just the church. <laughs> That's what the church is really supposed to be. And um, I'm a man who walks in freedom today. Um, I'm going to share a bit about my story. I walk in freedom, not perfection, and there's a big difference in that, but, but an actual practical freedom. Like, I'm different than I was. Um, by the grace of God, I'm different than I was. And um, so I just want to pray really quick over, over our time and for myself. Um, in the authority of Jesus Christ, the authority in that which I stand as your son, I command every lying spirit in this place to be silent in Jesus' name. And I ask for freedom to come to each heart. Lord Jesus, will you come right up to each person that's here and breathe your spirit upon them? I pray that you would help them to loosen the grip of the things that they have held on to, the wounds, the hurts, the angers, the habits, the hang-ups, the judgments that they have upon themselves and upon others. I pray that you would overwhelm their fear with your love, God. Father, let each person that's here hear your voice for them. 
Remind them and reassure them that you know each of their stories. You know what they have done and you know what has been done to them. Let them know that you have wept with them and you have been present and you are present now. It is by your stripes we are made whole. You have purchased it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> totally, uh, totally jumped around there. Let me, uh, let me back up to 1985. It's a good year. It'd be a better year if I can find my actual page. <laughs> I can't find it, but so I'll just wing it. Um, so you can you can go to uh, you can go to 1985. <clears throat> yeah, my my brother had a really cool jacket. Like Miami Vice was in full swing. <clears throat> um, yeah, this uh, 1985. I remember. Um, I remember the very first time uh, I, I was invited over to a friend's house, whose name will not be mentioned because of the internet. <laughs> he, he probably is a Facebook friend. Anyway, I, um, I, I remember um, being invited to his house, and, um, and before, I, before I left, he invited me, and he kind of brought me into his dad's uh, bathroom, and um, went under the cabinet and pulled out for the very first time that I'd ever seen a magazine with images in it. I was probably in second grade. Actually, I'm, I was younger than this picture. That's, that's the closest picture that I could find. My own son is six. I think I was maybe about eight. Um, it's the first time that I saw pornography. And um, I remember, um, I don't remember exactly what I saw. I, I do remember how I felt. I felt like alive. I felt really weird, um, really kind of excited and kind of like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I like it, but it also feels bad. And we had snuck in to, to see it. So I just knew that there was a, there, it, was, it just wasn't good. I knew it wasn't good, but at the same time, I was like, ah, this feels good. And I remember, I remember that kind of, kind of mixture. And before I left, before I left his house, this was like the first time I'd actually gone to a friend's house that my parents didn't really know them. And it was a friend from school and before I left, I went back into that bathroom and I ripped out a centerfold and I folded it up. I stole it. I put it in my pocket and I took it home. And when I got home, I tried to figure out where I could hide it. And it, it is that way with, um, it is that way with, with, with sexual sin. Um, and, and in that moment, as an eight-year-old little guy, um, a little split happened. Real small but a little split happened. Uh, between, the, uh, between the smiley, helpful, kind of uh, you know, nice guy, nice kid, um, and then the one that I knew was kind of wrong, but I also enjoyed looking at what I had looked at, and so I felt, um, felt like I should hide that. I didn't even really know it at the time. So, so began this little split that as I grew and as I got older, and I came to understand more and more that split became wider um, and became deeper. And that is exactly what happens with sexual sin and shame. Um, it can split the self where you, um, you're not necessarily even paying attention to the person that's over here doing some of the things that you would rather, you'd rather not look at, right? 
Um, and as I, got, as I got older, I recognized and realized that that was, um, it had grown, it had grown into my, in my life. I carried the cycle of, of looking at pornography into my marriage and into following Jesus into the early days of my marriage. Um, and Jesus came along as he does, and as he does all the time, and he began to stitch back, stitch that gap back together again. Um, sometimes we think healing happens like this, like it's, the, like it's a lightning bolt. And, and by the way, God can do whatever he wants. Sometimes I, that, that, that can and that does happen. But oftentimes it happens much more slowly. Why is because God actually loves you and cares for you and cares more about you as an individual and, and how you're formed than just getting the right behavior out of you. He's patient, like Ali's, Ali's, Ali's um, uh, illustration this morning. He will come alongside of you and help, to, uh, and help to, to, to shape things. I share that, uh, and, and I'm a pretty open book if you want to talk to me afterwards about the experiences that I've had. Um, I'm not going to focus too much more on, on my own story. I just want you to know that I'm a guy who's been there and done that, uh, and now am walking uh, in a great degree of freedom from that. And I will hint at some of the things that have, has helped me kind of get out of the ditch and walk. A lot of it's been the church. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been uh, a healing relationship with my wife, therapy, support group. There's been lots of things, uh, lots of things. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as, as, as we kind of go along. But sexual sin is one of these things where, um, boy, it can, be, uh, it, can be really difficult, um, it can be really difficult to heal from. And so I want to take a quick look at some of the reasons why it can be difficult to heal from sexual sin. Not so that we just kind of throw our hands up and say, well, gosh, this is just too big of a thing. But so that we realize and recognize that God is patient towards us. And, and one of the things that I think happens with shame, um, with shame connected to sexual brokenness, is a great irritation of the self. Where you, uh, especially if you've come to faith and you still are struggling with a sexual sin, um, and a habitual thing, or or, you're, you're still, or or something has been done with you, there is a there's a an aptitude to move towards a kind of an idea of self hatred. That sounds really harsh, but it's kind of true. Where you can be really hard on yourself, um, and God is patient towards us. Um, that we are patient with one another. We should extend to ourselves the same kindness that we extend to sick friends, right? Um, so there are a number of reasons why it's actually very difficult for us to heal from, heal, heal from sexual sin. One really big one, and I'm not going to dive into this too much, is you have a very real enemy who does not play fair. He attacks eight-year-olds and, and younger, right? Like it, it, that's, that's, that's a big thing. But there are some other really kind of practical, uh, practical reasons why it's hard. So we're going to look really quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. This is a church that it culturally is, uh, there's a lot of similarities actually between, between uh, Corinth and our culture of, of the day. And this is what Paul has to say. Flee from sexual immorality. That, that's, a, that's a big word. There's lots that's packed into that word, by the way. Um, it, it ties back to Leviticus 18, where there's a big long list of 17, 17 verses of all these different prohibitions that God says, it's off limits, it's not good for you. Um, so Paul's using this, this, this phrase. It's re actually really a shortcut phrase for a whole lot of activity. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin 
a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom have you, uh, is the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Sexual sin causes us to sin against our own bodies. That's, that's the first thing. Paul seems to indicate that there's something that we all kind of naturally feel about, about sexual sin, is that there's something deeper going on with it. It kind of cuts deeper and feels closer to, 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 um, to, deep, to deep things in us. Science has actually come along and confirmed Paul, by the way. Um, and, and so I want to I kind of walk through some of the actual scientific, neurological, biological realities that come with, sexual, with, come with sexual brokenness and sexual sin. Here's a rundown. Here's the things that we know. You guys doing okay? Heavy topic. I'm okay. You okay? Okay. Okay. So here's a rundown. Um, logic, logic stops. Logic stops. So the logical part of your brain, and by the way, these things I'm going to talk about, God designed them. They're actually amazing things, and they're amazing within the confines of a biblical marriage. They're designed to actually create fidelity, connection, pleasure, attachment, health, stability. Like, they're amazing things. When they're outside of that, like Nick talked about the first week, the kind of that fireplace idea, when it's outside of that, they, they cause a lot of problems and a lot of, a, a lot of challenges. So the first one is, when you have sex, logic, the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that makes good decisions, like the most adult part of you, shuts off. You stop adulting. <laughs> like value judgments, right and wrong, like that shuts off. That literally, that literally starts to shut off. So that's why people who have been engaged in, in um, habitual sin, like... There's plenty of people who get fired from work for watching pornography at work, and you're just like, why could somebody do that? Hello, the brain literally, like the, the, the part of the brain that says, that's probably not a good idea. Hey, remember all the reasons that this is not a good idea? It turns off. It, it, it's, it, goes, it goes quiet, right? That's the, that's the first swing. I remember a mentor of mine used to say about, about sin, just in general, not just sexual sin, sin will make you stupid. Um, yeah, it was true. Like, you know, it just, it, just, it just is true. The second thing is that it, it trains us for pleasure. It trains us in pleasure. So when you orgasm, male and female, your brain releases dopamine. Dopamine, right? It's a drug. That's a neurochemical drug. Now, we understand, everyone's just thought that that was just, a ple- it's just about pleasure, like Pavlov's dog, like, you know, you, you, you do this, you get this, woo, that was great. We actually know that dopamine is not just, it's not just a pleasure. It's actually a learning chemical as well. So what happens kind of in the background is, is you, you receive pleasure for doing certain action and your brain remembers that. And it can begin over time to start working against you. To, to want to, set, I, like, literally, with, when, when you deal with kind of almost addicts of any kind, they will set themselves up. In their minds, they might not even con- consciously know it. Like, well, I'm just going to kind of, oh, I feel sick today. I'm just going to stay home from work. No, <laughs> you're probably not sick today to stay home from work. You, you might have other ulterior motives that your brain is plotting against you because it wants a dopamine hit. 
It's, this is biology, guys. This is not just even morality. I'm just talking about biology. So, so the next thing is that it, it, it affects our, our ability to attach with one another and, and affects healthy, healthy attachments. So both men and women release another thing, oxytocin. Oxytocin is the same chemical that's released when a mother breastfeeds. It is a really powerful bonding agent. Um, it, it's meant to attach people emotionally, physiologically, together. Um, the, 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 the idea that um, uh, it's, it's during, during orgasm that happens, but for women in particular, you continue to produce oxytocin even, ask, even after orgasm. There's a, there, it, this is a bonding agent. Listen, if you're within the confines of marriage, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's like, the, it's, like the, it's like the sprinkle dust that you wake up and you actually want to wake up with the person that you're with. Like, right? <laughs> I do, but... <laughs> That, that, that's why, but that's why, that, that, it's literally, it's literally, that's what it does. It connects, it bonds, it fuses. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> no, no. Good. So here's the deal, though. Here's some, you got, you got biology stacked against you if, 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 you're, if you're struggling in, in this area. I want to tell you the good news. Here's the good news. Ready? Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's possible. Let me just say that. It's actually possible that your minds that are plotting against you physiologically can be renewed. The second thing is, Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. He will. didn't say might. I will heal you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Whether you feel like it or not, this is good news. This is what's true. There's another reason why, uh, why healing from sexual brokenness and sin is difficult, and, and it's really that we don't think it's possible. Especially if you're caught in a cycle. You just don't, you're just like, ah, I guess this is just my lot in life. Just, this is the way it's going to be. No, it's not the way it's got to be. So I remember... Um, I remember the feeling kind of of being overwhelmed, caught, caught in a cycle. I remember that. I remember feeling like dis, disgust with yourself and anger and like, I can't believe I did that again. I remember the empty promises. Oh God, I promised this and this, this. I remember stints of, 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 of um, walking in freedom for a, for a little while and then going back to the, going back to the, to, to, to the cycle of brokenness. I remember those things. And I remember how how disparaging, like it, you, just, you just despair, right? Um, but the reality is there really is hope. We're going to talk, talk about that. I, I think for us, as Americans in particular, um, I remember the very first time I ever read, really studied Romans, in Romans 7. I got to Romans 7. I got to Romans 7 as a, as, as a young guy with 
lots of hormones and, <laughs> and lots, of kind of, lots of kind of problems. And I came to Paul saying, for we know that the law is, this is Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it's, tongue t- it's a tongue twister, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then he continues, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And I used to think, oh, Paul totally gets it. He totally gets it. We're stuck. I am a slave. I'm a slave to this. I'm anchored to it, but chin up, someday I've got my ticket to heaven, and someday I get to escape this body. Paul didn't stay in seven. Paul did not stay in Romans chapter seven. I wish I could go back and tell I wish I could go back and tell Sean that. If that's the gospel you have received, I have good news for you this morning. There's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You are not left there. Paul is talking about our condition without Christ. That's what he's saying. That's where we were all stuck. I was stuck for years in the same place. But praise be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8 verses 1 through 12. He starts off. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death has set you free has has past tense he continues for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit by the way that's one of the things we get to do now is 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 support one another help one another to focus on the things of the spirit that's how the mind is renewed one of the first things is what we're talking about right now guess what you don't have to stay stuck wow that's crazy i never heard that before yep a little bit of renewal just a little bit we got to keep telling each other this stuff he goes on he says and you are not in the flesh You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. Heaven starts now. Eternity starts now. The resurrection of all things starts now. These outward bodies are fading, but inwardly Paul says, I'm renewed day by day. The resurrection project we talked about a few weeks ago has begun. I don't just have a golden ticket and hope and pray and grit my teeth to someday be, be, to escape this body. 
this body will be raised new. And I hope it's 6'4". Here's the other thing. If you see this as, I mentioned this before, but if you see this as a snap of the fingers, just because I'm preaching on this one, one, it doesn't mean you're, like, it's not this. That's why God gives us a church. That's why God gives us one another. That's why God says, come on out of hiding. You all suck. But, we, but I love you. I love you. I love you. I cannot stop loving you. <laughs> it's safe to come out of hiding. That's what the church is supposed to be. A people of God. Resurrected, redeemed, walking in the light as he is in the light. Not judging one another. Encouraging one another. Wanting the best for one another. Hoping all things, believing all things. A community of love. The last thing that makes it really difficult to deal with sexual sin is that we really misunderstand accountability. Mm -hmm. I did, man. I, I did. I remember joining a couple of church men's groups. <laughs> we, got a, we got a book. We're reading a book. We go to Denny's. And all of us would just talk about how bad our week was. <laughs> It was like we just kind of like vomit all over each other. It was not helpful. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that I had some, you know, I, I was learning. I was learning to begin to kind of open up and, and talk. But man, I thought that accountability looked more like a uh, Catholic confessional. Like, um, this is everything that I just did. Well, confession is a really important part. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's critical, in fact. I mean, there's the promise of healing as we confess to one another. There's a promise that God gives us that when we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is really, really important, and it's a part of accountability, but it's not the only thing that's about accountability. I've come to understand through support groups, through, through good friends, um, and by just embracing, embracing my own condition, that accountability is more like a, a brace for a weak ankle. And that's the community. It is the community. It's good friends. It's being known. And it's being proactive about it. You know, like, you, you turn your ankle, okay? You turn your ankle, your ankle's weak. You put a brace on it. Guess what? We all have weak ankles. The community has been given to us as a brace, as a support. There's people in your life. I'm not just talking about run around and tell everybody everything, by the way. There are, there are key people, there's key people in my life that, that, that know me, know me deeply, know, are able to call me on my stuff. So a practical example of this, practical example of this, although I, I've been walking in freedom for years, is, is I got a business trip, I'm calling guys and letting them know where I'm going. I got a weak ankle. I don't, I'm not, why, 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 why risk it? I want to be known. I want to, I want to keep walking in the freedom that, that God has, has provided to me. I, 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 will not be, I, will, I will not let someone put a shackle of slavery on me again. By the grace of God. You got to get some people. You got to get some people.
That's what, that's what actual accountability looks like. It's not just retroactive. It is proactive. It's front-footed. It's opening up. It's sharing life with one another. It's being supportive. It's, it's being forward-focused. The last thing is that shame, the last thing, the reason why it's difficult for us to heal is that shame holds us back from, from getting free. And shame is a, is a, is a jerk. <laughs> um, one psychological journal defined and described shame this way. Shame is an especially painful emotion because one's core self, not simply one's behavior, is the issue. Shame involves a painful scrutiny of the entire self. A feeling that I am unworthy, incompetent, or a bad person. Although shame does not necessarily involve an actual observing audience present to witness one's shortcomings, there is often the imagery of how one's defective self would appear to others as unworthy and reprehensible. How would it look for you to know about little Sean, who liked what he saw in dad's bathroom? Right? Shame seizes, seizes an opportunity. Shame is one of the biggest weapons that the enemy has, really. Uh, I think uh, it's, um, there's lots of kind of, uh, there's lots of different dimensions, uh, dimensions to it. And, and um, the enemy will come immediately with sexual sin, sexual brokenness, and he will whisper all sorts of things to you that if you are not careful, turn and crystallize into judgments. And ask the, uh, the gift, get one of the gifts to our community is the Sappingtons. Um, I would highly recommend Tom's book um, on uh, letting God be judge. It talks about how these little whispers that come to us, they are not always you. <laughs> very, very often they are not. And when we accept them, you know, things like, um, I'm, just, I'm just dirty. Um, I'm worthless. I'm this, I'm that. You fill in the blank. These things come at us. And the, the propensity is to grab them and hold on to them. And the danger is when we hold on to them, they can form into deep-seated agreements and judgments about how we actually are that are contrary to the truth of what God says. God is the one who gets to judge us. And he has declared in Christ we are righteous. In Romans, it talks about the fact that God is the one who justifies the ungodly. So whether, whether you feel godly or not, God is the one who justifies you in Christ. You actually don't have a right to judge yourself in, in that way. So I want to share with you, um, kind of moving to the back nine here, um, Better make it quick. Um, the, uh, one of my favorite passages, and, and just want to kind of share this with you. I, I think I've mentioned it briefly from up here. It's John chapter 21. And it's one of my favorite passages because it really shows how Jesus deals with shame. Uh, it's a direct passage where Jesus deals with shame with Peter. And for me, it's particularly, it's particularly close to my heart because in uh, July 4th, 2002, I got to stand in that same spot where, where Jesus healed Peter. And, and God did something special for me as well. And by his grace, I hope it transfers to you. 
Jesus heals shame. If you remember Peter, Peter's the leader of the, the band of disciples, and he totally screwed up. He told Jesus the night he was going to be betrayed, I will die for you. And then he's warming his hands by a campfire and someone says, hey, you're with him. No, I'm not. Second time, no, I'm not, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. Jesus is, is getting grilled and beaten and his best friend. I mean, Jesus literally lived with Peter for, for, for a while. He was probably Jesus' closest friend of the, of, of the three. We know that he was one of three of the closest friends that Jesus had. This is a close friend. And in his greatest moment of need, Peter goes totally MIA on him. Judas betrayed him. Peter deserted him. The cock, the, 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 the rooster crows two times, and he remembers before, it, before the rooster crows two times, you will have denied me this very night three times, Peter. But I have prayed for you. Jesus, Jesus prays for us. He knows you're he expects more failure from you than you expect from yourself. So lighten up. He's already ahead of you. Peter blows it, goes out, weeps bitterly. We don't see Peter again. He disappears. We don't see him until after the resurrection, the morning of the resurrection. Um, we, we catch up in John, 20, John 21. Peter's probably feeling... I mean, you got to picture these guys. They still don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> I mean, their world is totally upside down. Peter is from a shame culture, so we think shame is a big deal to us. It's a really big deal in his culture. So he's supposed to be the leader, the strong one, the one that, you know, and he bailed. And now he's hanging out with his buddies in Galilee, the same guys that he kind of bailed on too, and he, they all bailed, Right? He's standing there and he's like, I'm going fishing. It's like, I, I might not get this discipleship thing, but I get the fishing thing. I'm going to go fishing. And so the disciples say, we'll go, yeah, we'll go with you. So John 21 talks about the reality that they go out and they go fishing and they fish all night and they catch nothing. Zip, zilch, zero. They catch nothing. They fish the whole night. Peter who knows, how, knows what he's doing with fishing, catches nothing. In the morning, we're going to pick up in verse 4. One of the first ways that Jesus heals our shame is he helps us face reality. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they have to say, Nope. <laughs> Jesus will very kindly bring you face to face with the fact that you can't do this. You have caught nothing. In your own work, you have caught nothing. No healing, no righteousness, no victory on your terms. He will bring us face to face with, uh, with reality in order to do the next thing that Jesus does. Continuing in verse 6, he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. These experienced fishermen caught nothing and one word from Jesus, boom, 153 fish. At his word, you are righteous. At his word, 
things change. When we believe his word, things change. The way out of shame is to face yourself and believe his word. That's the, that, that's the next thing. Believe what he says, whether you feel it or not. You do not need to act on your feelings. You need to act on his word, what he says about you. The third thing that he does to help heal us of shame is he wants to be with you. Picking up in verse 9, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with a fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, let's have some breakfast. So they get to the shore and they say, he's already got fish. He's already got fish and he's got bread. I, I like to think of this almost like the third feeding miracle. I mean, they're gonna, that's going to come to their minds when the fish and the loaves, like he already had it. He's already, he's already, he's already, he's already provided. He is the all-sufficient one. He doesn't need your fish. He, know, he, knows, he knows how to produce fish. He's got it already. But the cool thing about Jesus is he says, well, why don't you go catch, why don't you bring some of the fish you caught? You caught? It reminds me of like when I have, I have Jack help me do something. You're going to work on something. My, my son's six. And, you know, help him work on something in the yard. And I set everything up for him just to hit the last thing. And, and it's amazing because he feels like he really helped. <laughs> he didn't really help. Peter didn't really catch anything. Jesus like put the net down there. And, Yay, good job, Peter. <laughs> Not only does Jesus want to be with us like, a, like embodying his Father, he takes great pleasure in working with us. We are, just, we are not a pity project for him. We're, we're his kids. <laughs> you're, you're not a project. You're a, you're a child of God. He takes pleasure in being with you, working with you. Hmm. Man, you guys can come back up. The last thing that Jesus does to heal shame. I think it's really cool that John includes 20, chapter 21. Because we don't have any other record of Jesus and Peter reconciling. It was almost like, uh, it was almost like Peter, um, who had become a friend of John's as well. John wanted us to know about about Peter and about how this went. So he records it. They're sitting around a charcoal fire, warming themselves at breakfast in the morning. Peter, just a short while ago, was warming himself by a charcoal fire, denying that he even knew him. And now he's sitting there with him, with the rest of his friends. And Jesus looks to him, and he says, picking up in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the word agape, which is a Greek term. Uh, it's a Greek term that essentially means a, a, an unconditional kind of, kind of love, a, a real benevolent type, type of love. Peter, do you agape me more than these? Put yourself there. You're sitting around. He's the chief disciple. He knows what he has done. 
And Jesus says to him, do you unconditionally love me, Peter, more than these guys? Peter's response, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. He uses a different, he uses a different Greek word. He doesn't use agape. He, he's kind of like, yeah, I, I have strong affection for you. It doesn't have the same kind of benevolent, unconditional type of tone to it. It's, he, 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 I'm sure he's probably not even looking at Jesus. He knows what he did. And he knows that everybody else there knows what he did. Jesus does not say to him, I forgive you, Peter. What does he say? I trust you, is what he says. He says, feed my lambs. He goes on, he says it again. Jesus asks the exact same thing. Do you agape? Peter responds, you know that I have this brotherly affection for you. He says, tend my sheep. He says, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you have brotherly affection for me? Jesus changes his word the third time. The third time, Jesus changes it to meet Pete where he's at and to bring him face to face with himself as well. And he says, do you have brotherly affection for me, Peter? And it says Peter was hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you have that brotherly affection for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. He, there it is, he gave up. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. I trust you, Peter. I trust you. In that moment, Jesus of Nazareth is trusting an absolute failure, a deserter with the church. He is trusting a man who just left him with you and with me. We know that the Holy Spirit would be with him. We know that who he's at, who's really trusting is himself to accomplish his deeds, but Peter gets to be included. This is the God that we serve. And I remember, I remember for myself, I, I, went, to, I went to Israel uh, as a young guy and I wanted to change really badly. And I remember going to, going to that spot and uh, there was no tourists there when, when, when I was there. And I remember coming up to the, coming up to the rail um, and there was a little old man that was with me. We were the only two that were there. And he opened up the scriptures and he read, he read, he read John 21 and something broke in me in the best way possible. I believe that God, by his grace, would want this morning to deposit in you a love and affection for you that would begin to unravel the shame that you've experienced. That is my prayer that this morning, and I know we're, 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 we're crowding out on time, but that as we respond, the literal place where Jesus hands over the church, you know what it's called today, that little spot? It's called Mensa Christi, the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord is behind me, and it's, it, it, it's the place of communion. Come, let's have breakfast together. Shame, it wasn't just like that. This was, 
This was 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago for me. And, and, and preparing for this, I was looking back. And just like, God, you're faithful. This is a demonstration of that passage. God is faithful. He is kind. Church, he loves you. He can't stop loving you. I don't care what you have carried in here. I don't care what the voices in your head say. You have a father in heaven. You have a great redeemer and a rescuer, Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Christ, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the controller of your destiny, the one who knows where he's going. And he says to you and to me this morning, exactly what he said to Peter at the end of that exchange. Follow me. The best advice I ever had, I'm going to give to you. Wherever you find yourself in this mess of sexual brokenness and sin, just keep going. Put one foot in front of the other and trust. He will finish the work he started in you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for my brothers and my sisters. I ask, Lord, that you would pull off of them their own judgments against themselves. I pray that you would begin to heal wounds that have been done to them, kind of deep and long things that have... Um, have sat with them for years. I pray that you would begin in your kindness and with your patience, you'd start to untease and unravel those things. I pray that you would give your people patience, patience with themselves and patience with one another. Would we be a community of people who love one another? Would you help us, God? We don't do that well, but you do it well. We love you, in Jesus' name.